Bob Griffiths. This is Coventry Hospital Radio. Now in the studio with them now is Professor Andy Hardy. Andy, welcome. All right, good to be here. Good to see you here, and thank you for coming on the show. Um, now, what I thought we might try and do, we, we all see a hell of a lot in the papers about the National Health Service, almost every day in the media, somewhere on the way, if it's not papers, it's on the television news. And what we always get is a national situation. Mm-hmm. What's it mean for this hospital? So that's what I'd like to focus on. And perhaps a way of starting that is looking at one of those things that's come out it's in terms of the backlog, uh, in terms of the, sorry, the workforce plan that's come okay. out from the centre, What's that mean for this hospital? Were the numbers you put in by you, were they top down only from NHS England or what? No, well, firstly, I think we should uh, almost celebrate the fact that for the first time we've got a proper workforce plan for the NHS. And that's almost hard, hard to believe after 75 years, isn't it? Yeah. But of course, the other challenge with any workforce plan of the NHS is how long it takes to, to train people. So, you know, many years for doctors and some of our senior clinicians. And at the same time, that's against the backdrop of the fact that technology changes and medicine changes. So it's good that we're starting to think about, well, what do we need in five years' time? What do we need in 10 years' time? But of course, that doesn't get away from the fact we've got some challenges now. And that's true of this trust as a whole. Um, I'm pleased to say that actually our vacancy rate as an organisation is as low as it's been in my time here. Right. Um, and, and so that's really good. So we've been, become an attractive place to work. That doesn't mean we've got some challenges in certain areas, and we have. But we're always thinking about what does the future look like? And I think that's absolutely relevant to what the workforce plan was talking about. And we look to learn lessons constantly. So we know that how the workforce has, has provided care over the last 10 years has, has changed dramatically. So we know that nurses can often do what only doctors used to do or what we thought only doctors could do. So now it's looking about everybody, how we can almost like use the term maximise them to their licence, what they can do. Yeah. So people are really only doing what where they add value. And we constantly review that here at UACW. And, and we're you know, known have a good national reputation for our innovation to see how we can use technology and how we can things do differently. Yeah. So, I mean, part of the workforce plan issue that, uh, that they talked about nationally was about retention. So if you've got uh, low vacancy positions here, you, you're retaining staff. Yeah, it's, it's a really good point to raise because whenever we talk about workforce challenges, we always talk about recruitment, but we kind of forget the retention. And actually... Um, What's making people leave if they are leaving? So how do you stop them leaving? What do you do to keep them uh, here in the NHS, here at UHCW? We hear a lot about um, people moving abroad for for roles, but actually it's not that big. And you just understand that some people do want to go and live abroad. But actually, we've also been very successful here at UHCW in attracting workforce from overseas. And they've, they, they provide fantastic care. In fact, only at an induction last week, I had, I think it was 15 nurses that joined us from, from overseas, from India. And, and they're providing fantastic colleagues. Right. And you go to every induction, don't you? I try to do every single Monday morning at nine, 9 o'clock. I do an induction. <laughs> if I, so only if I'm not on site or if I'm on your leave. Yeah. Otherwise, I do every induction, yes. Great stuff. Uh, so in terms of the, that plan then, it, it, although it was announced by the government or NHS England, which one or the other, was it a top-down set of numbers or were you feeding into that? Or no, it was, it, it, was, it, was, it was a bit of both, really. Yeah. Um, so there was some sort of macro-level, like government-level modelling, mm-hmm. but also they did engage the NHS and trusts like ourselves to say, what does it feel like on the ground? Yeah. Does our national modelling feel right? Um, and asked us what it feels like and what we expect to be the workforce changes given yeah what i've already said about how different people do different things and also what what technology can bring what do yeah. you know technology yeah. is moving so fast in healthcare yeah and, and that, that brings us neatly to the the flow through because technology is helping in that area isn't it mm-hmm. you've got um 
you started virtual wards. Absolutely, yeah, we're doing that here in Coventry, and that means that um, people don't need to come into hospital. They used to uh, have to come into hospital. We can either monitor them remotely. We can provide, for example, intravenous antibiotics at home, and people would rather be at home. Yep. Yeah, they can. There's certain fear about coming into hospital, isn't there, anyway? Yeah, and, and there's always been a fear about coming to mm. hospital. You know, I mean, if you look back through all the research, even before the pandemic came along, generally the, the largest fear in, in NHS England was, oh, I'm going to catch an infection if I come into hospital. But it's not just about that. It's about mental health and well-being, about being in surround, you know, familiar surroundings in your house. But if you can have, for example, I uh, say, um, intravenous antibiotics at home, you can do that. If you want to go make a cup of tea, you can go make a cup of tea. Yeah. You can eat the food you like and what you've got in your fridge. Yeah. So so those things make a big difference to the overall well-being of the individual. And they can sleep at night. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They're in their own bed. I comment every week on the, the great hospital escape section of the show saying, you'll be able to go home and sleep. You can't sleep in hospital, can you? Well, it's, well most people say nothing's like your own bed, is it? Yeah, absolutely right. Absolutely right. So in terms of the flow-throughs, also you've had the minor injuries unit. Ed Hartley, one of your consultants, has been here some time ago mm-hmm. talking about that. So I'm, I'm going to grab him again because it was later on this year, or it's about now, isn't it? They're going to have completed that process. It's um, actually, oh, this, is a, this is very lucky for me because I had an update on this this morning. Excellent. So we're actually <laughs> due to finish that project two weeks ahead of schedule. Very good. So it should be finished on the 7th of September. Yep. And that's been a, a major revamp to the emergency department here at the University Hospital, £15 million. Pounds. Well, as you say, we've opened a minor injuries unit. We've extended the number of cubicles for majors and resources. That's for the very sickest people when they come into the hospital. And also, well, that's part of the work that's going on now, is increasing the footprint and size of the children's emergency department reception and also extra cubicles for children as well. Right, so so they've diverted from the main A and E where they can be. Mm-hmm. Is that is that what you've yeah, done as so well? What, yeah. So in effect, what happens like, with the minor injuries is that if if a, a patient turns up at the front door, they're very quickly triaged by a very senior level nurse, and they'll say, actually, you don't need to come to full um, emergency department. So we can triage you downstairs to the minor injuries unit, which in many ways is like a primary care unit. Because these are people who could actually, most many of them could actually be seen elsewhere, but they might, except they might need, say, for example, an X-ray or certain tests. But we can do those downstairs out, out of the main emergency department, so we can keep the main emergency department for those patients who absolutely need to have that level of care. Yeah, that's great. So there's been no queuing or less queuing at the, absolutely not, the yeah. ambulances, presumably. Yeah. yeah, we've seen our ambulance turnarounds, which of course was a major yeah. media stories for quite a while up until recently. Our ambulance turnarounds have decreased considerably, and that can only be good for the patients who yeah. are the ones at home waiting for an ambulance. Yeah, absolutely. And let's talk about the the, um, the uh, backlog. How long okay. people are, are waiting. What what sort of timescales are people waiting for operations to come into hospital? Yeah, so I talk about this in terms of you know if I'd been sitting here talking to you before the pandemic, uh, we had a very proud record here at UACW where nobody waited over twelve months for an operation. As I sit here today talking to you, we've got five thousand two hundred people who are waiting over twelve months. So that's a lot of people with thing waiting for things like hip replacements, knee replacements, gallbladder removal, so things that are affecting their everyday life. So we've really been had a massive drive to bring those waiting times down. And we've been quite successful, actually, UACW. So last April, we were the first um, NHS specialist hospital, teaching hospital like ours, to eradicate all two years waiting out of um, out of 
coming out of the pandemic. We've now got that down to nobody waiting over 18 months. Very good. And we're looking to bring that down consistently to move forward. Uh, we review our waiting list constantly because one thing we don't want to make sure is that people who are on a waiting list aren't deteriorating. Right. And so we constantly check that as well and make sure people still need an operation on some counts. So if, if someone is waiting and they're, mm-hmm. they're waiting a long time and on the outer side of that time scale and they're concerned about it, yet they know they're waiting, they've had the yep. information from presumably their clinician, mm-hmm. is there anywhere else they can ask the question, are we really in sight here and we've someone got to focus on us? Yeah, and, and also before that, what we've been doing, uh, where we have mobile phone numbers, We've been regularly contacting people just to say, you know, how are you? Are you still needing this operation? Have you seen a doctor? Or do you need to see somebody or speak to somebody? But alternatively, um, what people should do is either go and see their GP yep. as one access point or attempt to call the medical secretary here to speak to a consultant. Right. But GP is probably the first, first port of call. Okay, that's fine. That's good information for people who have. So mm-hmm. hear that. Do that if you know anybody who's been waiting. That's a good thing to do. Right, Andy, if we have some music, we'll come back okay. and talk about... Uh, Artificial intelligence. Mm-hmm. Okay. And uh, here we are back on Feel Good Wednesday uh, with Professor Andy Hardy, Chief Executive Officer of the hospital here and of the UHCW Trust. Thank you again, Andy, uh, particularly for staying in. I think we enjoyed shaking Stevens together. Now then, let's talk about uh, the other thing that keeps on popping up, even today, front of the Times, front of another paper, I think it was The Guardian, artificial intelligence being able to be used to uh, help uh, diagnosis with breast cancer. Where else are we using it here in the hospital and what's the risk? Okay, um, <laughs> I, well, you, I, th- I think we need to see artificial intelligence as a massive opportunity for healthcare, both at UHW, actually across the world. You know, we already talked earlier about um, the workforce challenge. One thing we didn't say is actually the, the World Health Organization has estimated that by 2030, we'll be 28 million healthcare workers short across the world. Good so we, the world needs to do something different. I think AI is going to be one of the contributions towards that challenge. And indeed, uh, you've said uh, there's been a, a report on the Times today and other papers, that a, a massive study that's come out of Europe um, looking at breast cancer and the fact that um, through machine learning, through artificial intelligence, um, looking at mammograms, um, i.e. scans of the breast where the cancer is suspected, that AI is now as accurate as human beings at saying whether it's a cancer or not. Um Actually, I'm very proud. We've been at the cutting edge of some of this work here at UHCW for a number of years now, uh, looking at digital histopathology, so um, looking at such cancers, to see, putting them more into digitised rather than just into normal um, pathology cells. And actually, we've worked out and reported on this nationally last year, that for such cancers such as breast, where you have that machine learning, what you can cut out straight away is... 90% of people who are um, put forward or referred from a GP for breast cancer actually haven't got breast cancer. So if you can diagnose and get to those 10% quicker by using machine learning, what you can then use is your very valuable medical staff who previously would have been going through all those scans yeah. to focus in on the 10%. Yeah. So you can start that treatment earlier. And of course, we know with cancer that the early you diagnose, the early okay. treat, the better the outcomes. And so I think we need to see it in a really positive way. And particularly, for example, in radiography, um, that is a very stretched, challenged um, profession nationally and internationally. I also get that people are very wary of AI. We're hearing lots of scare stories, <laughs> aren't we, that the AI is going to yeah. take over the world. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm not in that camp. I see AI as being a very beneficial, big opportunity for the NHS and certainly in diagnosis. That's great to hear. I, I had... Um 
Professor Steve Thornton talking about okay. him for gynecology. Right. Uh, and he was saying he's doing that, looking, doing the research as well, looking mm-hmm. at the pre-birth and how they can handle it better through birth as well. Yep. That's really exciting, isn't it? Oh, on so many fronts, yeah. we really should embrace this. Um, I think the broader challenge around AI, that's really for governments and international bodies to think about what the legislation is around that. But in terms of healthcare, we've got to really grasp this and, and run with it. That's good to hear. Okay, now let's let's move on a bit. What have you been doing outside of work this week you want to tell us about? <laughs> what have I been doing outside? Well, I was very lucky in that on Friday of last week, I had a day's annual leave and I spent a day at the test match down oh, at the Oval. Right. And I had a dry day throughout. Yep. And so that was, that was brilliant. And I'm actually doing something this weekend which I thought I would never do. Uh, I'm going to a festival. Oh. Uh, it's called, <laughs> called Wilderness down in Oxfordshire. Yeah. I've not got quite gone the whole hog. I'm not camping. I'm in an Airbnb just at the road. Very wise. <laughs> but Because uh, I don't know what the forecast is. But so, uh, yeah, so that's going to be a new experience for me at my ripe old age. So is, we'll that, is that more country folk than it, 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 It's incredibly eclectic, actually. So yep. it goes through from like um, Joe Wiley doing 90s, through to country and western, through lots of like comedy and reading. And so. Honestly, that's as much as I know because I've kind of just said yes and I'm going with some friends so it's going to be quite an experience for me have fun thank you stay in the beer tent yeah absolutely <laughs> Andy thank you very much for coming in again great to be here good to see you looking very fit and well thank you the over must have been a good sunny day for you it was I was very lucky <laughs> okay thanks for coming in see you soon hopefully and yeah. take care have a good time at the festival Coventry Hospital Radio